All right. Welcome again. So glad to have you all who are in the house today. Glad to see you. And uh, for those who are joining us online, we want to say welcome to you. I know a bunch of people uh, are taking advantage of like this last long weekend before the holiday season. And so if you're at the lake or you're lying on a beach somewhere, we just want to say we hate you. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. We don't hate you. We're glad that you're here. Hey, before I jump in, a couple things before I jump into the sermon today. Somebody, somebody, uh, when I walked in today, somebody said, man, it's cold in here. Why is it so cold? And I said, because when the fire falls, you'll appreciate that. When the fire falls, yeah. So I didn't really say that, but... Uh, No, this is the joy of being in church leadership because you get 50% of the people who say it's too hot in there and 50% who say it's too cold. So we pick somewhere in the middle so nobody's happy. And uh, that's just the way we do things, right? So, hey, um, before I, I I do want to say this um, before we go any further. Uh, We just saw the little video on the Dollar Club. And some of you may not be familiar about with that, but it is how, uh, this is how we just bless people in the community. 100% of these funds is where we just get the money to bless people. And just to give you an idea, over the past month, uh, we've been able, with those funds, have been able to help uh, a lady get into a sober living environment, so those funds help with that. Uh, We had just a couple, about a week and a half ago, when we had that like oppressive heat wave that came through Lincoln, uh, there was a lady who was picking her kids up from school over here at Morley, and she ran out of gas and just didn't know if the church would be open, but came to the doors and was trying to just get inside the foyer where it was somewhat cool. And just the kids and her were drenched and they came in and I got to talk with them a little bit and uh, got to take them and we used those funds to put some gas in the car so it helped them out. Um, and so we used for that. We, we had uh, just this last week, we helped a young lady uh, get a plane ticket to get into a treatment facility for drug and alcohol addiction. So yeah, so that's where that goes. Um, and the last check, I think we were down close to around a hundred bucks left in that account. So, uh, if you haven't participated in that, the idea is like for $52 a year, we can do a ton of stuff, you know, so just a dollar a week. And so we encourage you to do that. The second thing is, uh, just on behalf of, of Laura and myself, uh, we want to thank you, um, for your tangible expression of love to us that you all demonstrated this last week. And uh, words just can't even begin to express what we feel. All we can say is we, we love you guys. And we're so grateful that God led us to this place to be a part of this community. And uh, we love you. And so thank you. We appreciate that. Yeah, I should be thanking, I should be clapping for you on that. Well, I'm, I'm excited about this morning. If you got your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them up to Exodus chapter 8. We're going to jump right into this word this morning, Exodus chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading around verse uh, 20. It says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river. And say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. But on that day, I will deal deal differently in the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. So, So last Sunday, we talked about how Moses nearly allowed his insecurities to get in the way of the destiny that God had for him. And this week in Exodus chapter 8, we find Moses, he's already wrestled through all of the buts in his life, all of the reasons why he couldn't do what God had called him to do, and now in obedience, he's standing before Pharaoh, and he's boldly declaring, let my people go. 
If you're not familiar with the, the story, uh, for, for nearly 400 years, the children of Israel have been slaves in Egypt. They, they initially had moved there during this time of famine, and because God's blessing was upon them, there was a promise that was given to them. The promise originally originated with Abram and said, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless your offspring, I'm going to make you into a mighty people, and through you the nations of the world will be blessed. And so because this blessing was upon them, they began to grow in number, and they began to develop into this powerful group of people. Which catches the attention of Pharaoh, who out of fear, he, he, he has this fear that uh, there's so many of them that if they had ever you know, got the inkling to, to join with any of Egypt's enemies, then they had the power to overthrow Egypt. And so he decides, the answer is, we'll just make them slaves. And so he starts forcing them to make bricks and build uh, temples and walls and palaces and cities. And, and as I've shared before, one of the things I love about this story, one of the reasons why I love it, is because I believe it is a perfect picture of us. It's just a, a beautiful picture. Even though none of us here have, have been uh, born into physical slavery, spiritually, we all have been slaves to sin, but God, through Christ, he's delivered us and he's given us freedom. And, and then once we're free from the power of sin, he then takes us on this journey to begin to experience the promises that Jesus sacrificed his life to bring us. And, and so this is such a beautiful picture of what God is doing in the church. For the, for the people of Israel... Their means of deliverance is that God winds up sending these 10 plagues upon Egypt, not only to, to motivate Pharaoh, but to make sure that he and all of the people understand that there is no other God worth serving than the God of Israel. And, and, and since God is he's, he's strategic in nature, that God, God doesn't just do things kind of willy-nilly, he, he has a plan. And so he's strategic in everything that he does. What's interesting is, if you take the time to study these 10 plagues, what you'll find is, is that God didn't just pick 10 random things to happen that he thought might irritate the Egyptians. That, that really, each of these plagues were a direct assault against some of the gods of Egypt. Um, the, the Egyptians were a people who had many gods. They worshipped a number of different gods. And, and in that day, it was believed that the most powerful nation in the world was the nation who served the most powerful god. And so because Egypt is the superpower of the day... Everyone just kind of believed that, you know, all of these different gods that the Egyptians served had to be more powerful than any other nation's god, especially more powerful than one who couldn't even keep his people from being enslaved. And so God, wanting to make it very clear that there is only one God that's worth serving, what he does is he brings these 10 different plagues against Egypt that are intended to conquer their gods. And so when you look at these, the first plague where uh, the water of the Nile is turned to blood, the Egyptians believed that the goddess of the Nile was one who provided life by bringing fresh water and, and fish. And so when the water turned to blood in the first plague, what happened is we know that not only was the water source taken away, but all the fish died. Can you, can you just imagine the smell of like all these dead and rotting fish? I mean, millions of them just floating the river. When I was young, um, you guys know I like to fish. And when I was young, um, my dad had this old cargo van and we had an old John boat we'd put in the back of the van and could go out to the ponds around Kearney and fish. And one time I had gone out and I caught a ton of fish and I, I got home. It was like not as hot as it was a couple weeks ago, but it was hot. But I had these fish in the back of the van and I went inside and forgot about them. Dude, I have never smelled such a smell. It was, I was so glad it wasn't my van. Uh, so this nasty smell just reeks for like seven days. Plague number two is the, the, the frogs um, come. 
And, and the Bible says that God caused these millions of frogs to come up out of the streams and out of the rivers, and they're everywhere. I mean, there are frogs in people's houses. There are frogs on their tables. There are frogs in their beds. They got frogs in their hands. They just got frogs everywhere. It was this disgusting amount of frogs. And it, it's kind of funny because if you, if you study this, um, the Egyptians did not believe in killing frogs because they had this, this God who was the God of the, the frogs, who was actually like this goddess of fertility. And so it was actually against the law for any Egyptian to kill a frog for any reason which means that your pastor would be thrown in the slammer, man, because I, I like to, like I said, I like to fish, and frogs are great bait. <laughs> That's just a free tip today. I mean, bass love frogs, catfish loves fro love frogs, so when I, I like to go out, and I'll catch some frogs when I'm fishing at a pond, and I'll use that for bait, but you could not kill frogs for any reason, because they worship them. In fact, even Pharaoh didn't have the authority or the power to kill a frog. And so what he does is he calls Moses and Aaron in and he says, hey, you guys, you need to get rid of these frogs. You guys need to do it. And so Moses is like, okay, God will do it. God has the power to do it. And just to prove how powerful our God is, you just name the time. I mean, you say when, and God will do it exactly as you say. And what blows my mind is, even in the midst of all of this suffering, Pharaoh says, tomorrow. Man, that's a, that's a sermon in itself right there. I'll put up with it for one more day. I'll put up with the pain for one more day. I'll put up with the, the suffering for, for one more day. One more day of tolerating sin. Just one more day. Of course, the next day, all of the frogs die. And then there's a, a third plague, which was the gnats that came from the dust of the earth. And there was a... Like that, you know, that's what you do with gnats, right? So there, there was a, all these gnats, they come from the dust of the earth, which is a direct assault against the Egyptian god of the dust of the earth. And so on and on and on, there's just one plague after another plague, conquering one god after another god. Now, here's what I want to hone in on. These, these first three plagues hit everybody the same. Everybody had to deal with it, both the Egyptians and the Israelites. Everybody suffered the same. When, when the Nile turned to blood, everybody's water was ruined. Everybody lost a source of food with the, the, the fish. Not, not just the Egyptians, God's people had to deal with it as well. When the fish rotted, they lost their food source. Everybody had to smell the stink. When, when the frogs invaded the land, they weren't just in the Israelites' home. They were in the Israelites' home. They were in the Israelites' beds. They were, they were in their houses just like they were the Egyptians. And, and when the dust turned to gnats, everybody's doing this thing, man. I mean, gnats will drive you nuts, won't they? Just everybody doing this. And, and what's fascinating is, and we'll get more into this in just a moment, but, but when they got to the fourth plague, all of a sudden, God says, enough is enough. God, God says, you know what, that no more for my people. I'm going to protect my people. And if you read the story, the remaining six plagues only affected, or remaining seven, only affected the Egyptians, not the Israelites. But they did have to suffer through the first three. Which leaves us with this question that I just want to kind of wrestle with this morning. And that is, why... Does God sometimes allow his people to suffer just like the rest of the world? I mean, why, why did God allow the children of Israel to go through the same suffering as the Egyptians in those first three plagues? But why does God allow us to go through some of the same things that everyone else in the world goes through? I, I think the answer is tucked away later in Exodus chapter 12. When we get to the end of, of, of uh, the 10th plague, the angel of death has just passed through Egypt. 
The firstborn child of all the Egyptians have been taken. And obviously there's great mourning in Egypt. And and finally, Pharaoh brings Aaron and Moses in. And he says, okay, enough is enough. Y'all need to get your stuff, get your people, get out of here, and and go do whatever it is that you want to do. We don't want you here any longer. Go worship your God. Do whatever it is you want to do, but just go. And as they're getting ready to leave, the Bible says that the Egyptians actually give them all of their money, all of their wealth, and they bless the Israelites on their way out. And I want you to watch this. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 38, it says this, that there was a mixed multitude that went up with them also. In other words... When the Israelites left the land of Egypt, there were a whole bunch of Egyptians that decided to go with them. This is huge. This is is massive. I don't want you to miss this. You see, apparently, there were a bunch of Egyptians who had watched the nation of Israel as they had gone through all this adversity. They watched as they went through all the plagues. They watched as they went through all of the things that that, that the Egyptians had to go through. And yet, these Israelites, they suffered so well. They suffered so well. To To the point that the Egyptians said, man, we want what you have. We, we, we want what you got. We want to leave everything that we have behind, and we want to go with you. We want to be a part of your group. We want to serve your God. Which leads us to this thought-provoking question, because all of us have to suffer. In fact, Scripture says that the rain is going to fall on the just and the unjust. Jesus himself said, in this life, you will have trouble. And so all of us are going to go through suffering at some point in time in our life. And so the question is, do you, do I, do we suffer well enough to make an Egyptian convert? You ever thought about that? Do do we suffer well enough to make an Egyptian want what we have? In other words, do you live your life in such a way that the rest of the world looks at you and goes, man, I want the God that you serve. If you can deal with this, if you can go through this, if you can survive this, I want what you have. Because listen, I believe that God from time to time will allow us to walk through some pain and brokenness. Now, I am in no way saying that everything, every difficulty we face in life, God is you know, sending that or causing that. But, but I do believe that there are times he'll allow us to go through some things in order that we can suffer well to be a light to a world that doesn't know God. I, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said one time that, that, that God, um, he... He whispers to us in our comfort, but he shouts through our pain. That there are times that God just wants to shout who he is. See, see, I believe that as the people of God, we should, by the power of the Holy Spirit, suffer differently than those who don't know God. I mean, if we're going to go through it, we ought to do it well, right? You guys with me this morning? All right. Sometimes this stuff's heavy, and you're looking at me, and I think, I think you're contemplating, and I, I'm just wondering if you're thinking about the Husker loss or something. I don't know. <laughs> he, he wants us to suffer differently than those who don't know God. Because, come on, the way the world suffers, the natural human reaction when things don't go their way is what do they do? They say potty words right? All of a sudden begins to flow out of their mouths. They, they, they turn to things like alcohol and drugs and sex to numb the pain. They, they do whatever is necessary to avoid the uncomfortable pain of whatever it is that they're going through. But listen, we, because we have the Holy Spirit, we ought to suffer differently than that. I love what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. He was being super honest about his life, and he says this. He says, I want you all to understand that we are hard-pressed on every side, 
but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. In other words, what, what Paul is saying here is he says, he's saying, look, if I could just be honest with you, I know what it is to experience pressure. I mean, I experience pressure. We're hard pressed on every side. There, there's a real stress from all the attacks that are coming our way. And the truth is, you know, I'm not exactly sure, like, can I even get out of bed today? I don't, I don't even know if I have the energy to go to work. I don't know if I have what it takes to worship Jesus and honor God with my life because we have this stress and it creates so much weight. He says, we got pressure just like everybody else, but, but man, it's not gonna take us out. We, we're, we're not, I mean, we're not crushed. We're perplexed. I mean, there are things that have happened to us that we don't really understand, but I'm not in despair. I'm not gonna give up. I know that God is faithful. I know that he'll be there for me. I love that, that God, Paul is saying, it's not gonna crush me. It's not gonna cause me to give up. He says, we've been persecuted, man. We know what persecution is. I mean, there's a bunch of people who they don't like at all what we're doing. They've turned against us. They talk about us. They've lied about us. Come on, I've never been abandoned, though. I know God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. I know that he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I know that even in the darkest valley, he's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. His rod is there to comfort me, and he is strengthening me through it all. He's causing me to have rest in the midst of it all. Come on, that's what God does. He's bringing blessing into my life. I've never been abandoned. I mean, sure, I've had some setbacks in my life, but man, the devil's not gonna get the last word. I'm not destroyed, I'm gonna make it. I, I read the end of the book, I know who wins. You see, Paul had a different perspective of life. And his, it centered around his whole purpose for living wasn't simply for everything in this life to work out the way that he wanted it to. His purpose for living was he had just entrusted himself to the one that he had chosen to serve. And, and he was dead set on following him regardless to where it led. Of course, we know for Paul, it led to a jail cell and eventually to his beheading. But he was dead set, man. This, if this brings God glory... And it's because of Paul that we sit here today. God used him to plant the church, to establish the church. Most of the New Testament we read is written from Paul's hands. That's what Paul was about. The All right, I'll keep going. I was going to be done. The question is, do we suffer well? I love, you know, the story of, of, and we talked about it before, the story of Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. Here they are, they're, they're ministering this city, they're preaching the gospel, they're declaring the good news, and there's this little demon-possessed girl who she could tell the future, and so there are people, uh, you know, of course, who had enslaved her. This happens every time that there, there's somebody, you know, for generations and generations, people love to take advantage of other people's trouble. And so there's this group of people that they were making money from the fact that this little girl is oppressed by the devil and she can tell the uh, people's fortunes. And, and, and the, here's the thing. Here's what we got to understand. The devil always recognizes the presence of God. Anybody, you, how many know that? I mean, he, he, can't, he lived in heaven. He's got years of experience. So, and so the devil recognizes the presence of God and he, un he's, he recognizes when the presence of God is being carried in the life of a believer. And he's always going to come against that. So you just need to know that. If you carry the presence of God in your life, and if you've given your life to Jesus, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you have the presence of God in you, you need to understand that the devil's going to come against you. If the devil no never comes against you, I mean, he's going to fight that. And so this, this girl, she is, she is following them around. I want to, I want to say this first, though, um, is that we need to understand that 
even though the devil may come against us. So this is why, um, you know, we, we can be in a church service like this and we can be worshiping and we can feel the presence of God and we can leave the service on a Sunday and go right into the tank on Monday. Some of you are like, Monday, man, it's when I hit the parking lot. I mean, that's because the devil wants to steal. The Bible says he's a thief and he's a liar. And so he wants to steal whatever it is that God is doing in our lives because the the devil recognizes when God is up to something. And so he wants to steal that. But, But here's the deal. What the devil doesn't account for is that you and I have been given authority over him. We don't have to worry about the devil. We don't have to be intimidated by the devil. We don't have to be in control by demonic spirits. And, and neither do other people because we have been given the authority over them. And so this girl, she's following Paul and Silas around for several days. And, and she's just like, she's annoying them. I mean, she's saying all these sarcastic, kind of in a sarcastic voice. She's like, these men are men of God, and they're going to tell you how to live your life. And so you ought to listen to them. And this goes on day after day after day, several days, until finally Paul is like, I am done. I mean, he wasn't like, you know, oh, this poor little girl needs set free. He's just annoyed. And he's like, you know, um, uh, he turns around and he says, all right, I'm done. In the name of Jesus... Come out. And in that moment, she's free. You, you, you do understand that we have the same authority, right? I heard a preacher say one time that never be intimidated by the devil because the devil's easy. People are what's hard because people are crazy. The devil's easy because in the name of Jesus, he got to go. That's what the Bible says. And so Paul takes authority over this demonic spirit in Jesus' name, and boom, she's in her right mind. Uh, can't, can't tell the future anymore. And, and instead of celebrating this miracle, the people who had been taking advantage of her and making money off her, they get mad at Paul and Silas. Listen, don't be surprised that when people start to get set free, all of a sudden, rather than rejoicing, the world is going to hate you for doing what is right. And so they arrest Paul and Silas, and they they strip them naked, and they, they beat them with rods, and they chain them, and they put them in prison. And I, I think if... Uh, if, if the way the, the story would go for most of us, if we were in this situation, if we were in their shoes, we'd be like, what the what, God? I mean, I, I mean, like, here we are, we're trying to serve you, and this is our reward? Here we are, we're, we're preaching the gospel, all we're trying to do is help people and, and reach people, and, and this is what happens? I mean, come on, be honest, anybody ever had that conversation? I have. I'll be very transparent. There are times where I've been like, God, do you see what's happening here? I mean, I'm serving you. I'm doing the best that I know how to do. And I'm trying to give myself away. And and people are getting saved. And my family's falling apart. Could, Could you, God, could you just maybe help a brother out? I mean, all I'm trying to do is love people. All I'm trying to do is serve and preach the gospel and advance the the kingdom. Could you maybe just do a little something? That's not Paul and Silas. In, in, In verse 25, it says around midnight, Paul and Silas were doing what? Praying, singing hymns. They're like, oh God, we just want to thank you that you've never abandoned us, that you're always there for us. We just want to thank you for the opportunity that you've given to us to suffer for the kingdom. We, we want to thank you for the chance you've given to us to minister. To, I mean, you've got us in this place. Every, they think we're locked up. They're locked up. They can't escape the gospel. 
We get to minister to all these people. And Lord, we, we know that you're here with us. And, and we're just asking right now, we're weak. And so we need your Holy Spirit to empower us. But we just, it's a blessing to suffer for the sake of the kingdom. And, and they begin to worship. I trust in God. My Savior, the one who will never fail. Totally insane behavior. You will never fail. The jailers are like, are they singing? He will never fail. What's wrong with them? And Paul and Silas just sing louder. I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. And they're like, what is up with these guys? How can they worship? I mean, you've just been beaten with rods, and you've just been placed in chains, all because you did what was right. You thought you were helping people. You preached the gospel. How can you be okay when everything in your world is not okay? I mean, how do you still have faith? And how do you still have hope? And how do you still have joy when things are falling apart? What do you guys have that we don't have? Listen. Whether you like it or not, you are a walking, talking, breathing billboard for the God that you serve, or at least for the God you claim you serve. And when people lie about you, and when people cheat you, and when people do all kinds of wrong to you, and it feels like your life is falling apart, understand this, there are people you're not even aware of who are watching you. And deep inside, they have this hope. They may not even be able to articulate it, but they're just hoping that you will suffer well. Because they're hoping that there really is something to this Jesus that you talk about. That they're hoping there really is something to this Jesus that you claim to follow. And they're really hoping that you just don't do what everybody else does when things fall apart. That you, you don't fall into the same pattern of addiction that, that they fell into. You, 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 they hope that the same words don't come out of your mouth, that come out of theirs when things get difficult. They're hoping that you don't just go, you know, hook up with the first person that you can find at the bar in order to numb the pain like they did. They're desperately grasping onto the hope that maybe, just, just maybe, this Jesus is real. And that, and that, and that the power that has changed you is powerful enough to change them. But here's the deal. The only way that they'll believe it is if they see it. If they see it in somebody. And make no mistake about it, they are watching. They are listening. They want to know if the words that we speak, they want to know if the worship that we participate in on Sunday mornings is still there on Monday when things don't go our way. I mean, come on, anybody can praise Jesus when everything is awesome. Anyone can praise Jesus when we, 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 we land the job of our dreams. And uh, anyone can praise Jesus, you know, when, when we, we pop the question and she says yes. And, and anybody can praise Jesus when our kids make the honor roll. It takes zero spiritual depth to praise Jesus then. But how do we respond in the face of suffering? See, see, I, I just think we're supposed to suffer differently. So Paul and Silas, they're worshiping. And then in verse 26, there's this, there's this word that has come up over and over and over again over the past several weeks it says, suddenly. So I love that word. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundation, and all the doors flew open, and the chains fell off of every prisoner. 
Come on, anybody glad that God is the God of suddenly? Come on, man. I'm telling, I'm telling you, some of you, this is why you came this morning, because God wanted you to hear this. He wanted you to know this. You've been stuck in a prison of your own, and you felt like, you know what, I've honored God, I've worshiped him, and you're thinking, I don't deserve to be here. I mean, in this place where I'm just, I'm just trying to keep my head up, trying to keep my attitude right, and it feels like it's never going to end. I want to tell you this morning, don't you ever give up, because God is still the God of suddenly. Suddenly is coming. You may not see it coming because that's what, that's what suddenly is all about. It happens all of the sudden, out of the blue, unexpectedly. All of a sudden, the right door opens up. All of a sudden, the situation changes. All of a sudden, God opens the windows of heaven. And all of a sudden, things just change. They flip like a dime. All of a sudden, you get favor in that relationship. All of a sudden, there's an earthquake that comes into your life, and it shakes you, and it rattles you, but the result of it, the prison doors fly open, and the chains fall off, and you have an opportunity to step into something that you couldn't even see before that moment. Suddenly, suddenly, the jail shook. The chains fell off, and Paul and Silas wind up ministering to every single person in that jail. And even their jailer winds up receiving Christ because of what he saw in Paul and Silas. Kind of reminds me of uh, one of my favorite Sunday school stories. The story of, anybody remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Yeah. Great story. King Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, there's a new law. Cross the land. Everybody's got to bow and worship this statue this is what's going to be most important in our country from here, this point on. This is what everybody's going to worship. We don't care about your God. We don't care about your Jesus. We're all going to bow to this. And if you don't, we're going to take you and we are going to throw you into this fiery furnace and end your life if you do not bow. Same thing's happening today, right? The devil's playing his music demanding that we bow. If you don't bow to what the culture says, then we're not going to let you on social media. If you don't bow to what the culture says, we're not going to let you participate in society. We're not going to give you the same opportunities that everybody else has. We're gonna, if you don't bow, we're going to call you things like intolerant and hater. I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response. They're like, all right, do what you got to do, man. Do what you got to do. We believe that God is the God that we serve is more than able to save us. That's awesome, right? We believe that the God we serve is more than they go on to say though. They said, "But we want you to know, king, even if he doesn't save us, we are going to burn before we bow." We're not compromising our values. We're not going to bow to anybody but Yahweh. It's only his name that is worth worshiping. And so we're not going to do what you tell us to do. We are not bowing. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were the one writing this story, that right about that moment, we are not going to bow. At that moment, I would have Jesus show up on like a white horse shooting lightning bolts, you know, out of his mouth, strike Nebuchadnezzar dead right there on the spot, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would be saved immediately from being thrown in the fire. That's how probably most of us would write the story, right? That's how we want it to work out. That's not what happens. They take a stand. Nebuchadnezzar ties all three of them up, throws them into the fiery furnace. You, 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 you got to think that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego on the way to the fire, even if they didn't say it, they had to be thinking like, did we do that right? <laughs> like, I, was that what we were supposed to do? Because um, it sure feels like we blew it in there somewhere. Like, I don't think this is supposed to be happening. But it does happen. They get thrown into the fire. But in Daniel Chapter 3, it says that when Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fire, he's like, didn't we throw like three guys in there? 
Because I see four. And they're walking around. Unbound. Unharmed. And the fourth one kind of looks like he might be the son of God. Listen, you need to understand this. I would love to tell you that every time you take a stand, every time you do what's right, every time you're obedient, that God would swoop in in a moment in time and rescue you in that moment. But the reality is there are times that you might just get thrown into the fire. But here's the good news. Because of Jesus, because he's promised to be an ever-present help in times of trouble. Because his promise is, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you, then you can bank on the fact that whatever fire you're thrown into, he will be there with you. That's the promise. And you'll, you'll experience a grace in the fire that you never could experience otherwise. His promise is, I'll tell you what, you may, I'm not going to rescue from every, every difficult thing in your life, but I'll tell you what, I'll put a joy in your heart that the world can't understand. I'll tell you what, there'll be a peace that surpasses human understanding and will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. In verse 27, it says that they came out of the fire and everybody looks at them and they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was there a hair on their head singed. Their robes were, not, robes were not even scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. I, I want you to know this morning that because we suffer differently, you may get thrown into the fire. But the stink of the fire doesn't have to get on you. You, 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 may, you may get thrown into the fire, but the fire doesn't have to steal your joy. You, you may get thrown into the fire, but the fire doesn't have to kill your faith. You don't have to be marked as a person who, who you are by every person who does something to hurt you. You don't have to be marked by every person who does that. You don't have to be marked by everybody else's choice. You don't have to be marked by every pain that comes into your life. You can still walk with your shoulders back and your held, head held high because you are not defined by the attacks that the devil brings against you. And you don't have to fear the fire because you're a child of the king. You're an heir to God most high. You're a son. You're a daughter of the God of the universe. And that doesn't mean that we don't suffer doesn't mean that we won't suffer, but it does mean we can suffer differently. It's not going to burn us like it burns the world, which is why there was a revival that broke out on the other side of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego taking a stand because everybody looked and saw, man, these guys suffer differently and their God has the power to take them through. So I, wanna, I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. What, what, what about me? Do I suffer well? Well, whatever it is that I may be going through, do I, do I suffer in such a way that it, it, it'll cause people to take notice? Do I suffer in such a way that would make an Egyptian convert? In, in other words, is there something in me that the world wants? Do, do I still have hope and faith in my heart in the midst of difficulty? Do I have the joy of the Lord that gives me strength? What I, what I love about this story, and I'm going to invite Brian to come, but what I love about this story is, yeah, they had to go through some of the same suffering that the Egyptians had to go through. But there did come a time when God said, okay, enough is enough. After the first three plagues in verse 22, God says, but on that day, I will deal differently in the land of Goshen where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. 
I'm here this morning to declare that there is coming a day of distinction. I, I believe that there's coming a moment where suddenly, suddenly, God is, is going to take your mess and turn it into a miracle. I, I, I believe that there is coming uh, suddenly, I promise you, if you'll just hold on, if you'll just remain faithful, the breakthrough that you've been waiting for is coming. The miracle you've been praying for, that, that miracle you've been fasting for, that miracle that maybe you have been, le- been believing for for years, that suddenly moment is coming when God says, okay, enough is enough. There's not going to be any flies on my people. Man, the day is coming where God is saying, I'm declaring this is a no-fly zone. I think it's fascinating that in the first three plagues that those, you know, if you you think about those were just really, all they were was annoying. But the last seven, those plagues brought destruction. The flies destroyed the, the crops. The death of the cattle came next. The ashes turned to boils. The hail destroyed some of the food supply. The locusts took out the rest. There were three days of complete and total darkness followed by the death of every firstborn child of the Egyptians. Every single one of those plagues the nation of Israel was protected from because God's hand was upon them. He surrounded them just like he promised in his scripture. We all have to suffer for a little while. I wish I could tell you something different. We we all have to suffer for a little while, but the promise is that God himself will rescue us. God himself will rescue us. Hey, I want to do this this morning as we wrap up our time together. If you're here this morning and, uh, you're just going through something. It may be a, a, a health issue. It may be a relational issue. It may be a financial difficulty. It may be a family issue. Whatever. You're just going through something. And, and, and I'm going I'm to close with a prayer, and this prayer is for you. And so if you'd like to be included in this prayer... I'm just going to invite you to do something bold. Just stand up. We're not going to call you out. I'm not going to point you out in any way. I just want to include you in the prayer. So all over this place, if you're just saying, hey, Pastor Doug, would you include me in this prayer? I'd just like for you to have this closing prayer. Just pray it over me. Pray it over me. I'm declaring today all across this place that there is a day of distinction that is coming. And God is declaring that amongst my people, I'm going to set them apart, and this is a no-fly zone. I don't know the day that is coming. I just sense it in my spirit. I just sense that God wants to move, and he wants to do something, and he wants to fill. Some of you have lost your joy, and he wants to give it back to you. Some of you have lost your peace, and he wants to give it back to you. And I just believe today that God is declaring a day of distinction, that this is a no-fly zone. And so, Father, today, as there are people standing all across this place, and I just imagine that there are those who are joining us online, who in their hearts, they're saying, hey, please include me in this prayer, man. This is where I'm at. I just feel like I've been holding on and haven't understood why I, I can identify with Paul that I, I've been, I feel like I've been crushed. I feel like I'm perplexed. I just don't understand it all, but here I am. And today, first of all, Lord, I want to thank you for the reality that every person in this room is standing. That's something. Every person who's going through something is, is standing on their feet. You said in your word that when we don't know what to do, when we've done everything that we can do, you said, just stand. And so it's by your strength today that we stand. You've carried us through things that we didn't even realize you carried us through. 
any strength that we have. It's not because we're some incredibly powerful people. It's because your Holy Spirit has enabled us. And we just confess that today and proclaim it today and say thank you. Thank you that in the midst of the struggle, we're standing. And today, Lord, we just declare, we declare that suddenly moment is just around the corner. That suddenly, in a moment in time, man, that suddenly moment, it may have been preceded by 10, 15, 20 years of crying and crying out. But that suddenly moment is coming and you can change things on a dime. We proclaim that today. I pray you'd help us to look for it. I pray you'd help us to just watch and see what you wanna do. Help us to prepare ourselves and to be ready for that moment. Help us to thank you for it in advance. Give us promises so we can hold on to from your word. And let us declare those. Lord, in the meantime, my prayer is that you would help us to suffer well. Help us to suffer in such a way that when the people around us, the people we work with, the people in our families, the people that we surround ourselves with, who know what we're going through, when they see the way that we suffer, give us, give us songs in the night. Lord, give us songs of worship that we can just sing, that we, we, we talk about worship is a weapon. And so, Lord, I pray that you would put weapons in our hands and in our hearts to be able to just proclaim and exclaim in the midst of our suffering who you are and how much you love us. And I pray that it would have an impact on other people. I pray that you'd help us to suffer in such a way that it would cause an Egyptian to convert. We're just going to pray this in Jesus' name today. And all of God's people said, Amen.